Would you pray with me? Today we're going to look at the impossible possibilities of God's interaction with his promises to Abraham and Sarah. This is a prayer that my father wrote, and I love reading his prayers. They are powerful and they are blessed. Let's pray together. Lord God, we honor and bless and praise you because you are the God of impossible possibilities. You came to us with amazing love and with a bullheaded determination to build a costly bridge of reconciliation for us in our lostness. Your pardoning love, your redeeming love, your adopting love, and your illimitable grace constantly amaze us. And so with joy and appreciation, we come to bless and to praise you, our God of grace and goodness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray, and all God's people said, amen, amen. We're going to continue with a message on the fact that God will protect all the promises that he wants to share with you. Two weeks ago, Pastor Phil preached on rainbows and doorposts. God promises when he sees the rainbow that he will never destroy the earth again with the flood. And doorposts was the promise that if we have the blood of Christ covering the doorpost of our heart and our life, that God will not judge us but will welcome us into his kingdom. Last week, Reverend L.D. Alaman from the Reformed Church, he was our general secretary, talked about Acts 1-8, that the promise of the Holy Spirit would be given to us and we would move out in power. And his three points, if you remember last week, were number one, if we want more of the Holy Spirit, we need to pray. Number two, we need to be humble. And number three, we need to be obedient and move out as the Holy Spirit moves us. Today we're going to talk about the reality that when God gives us promises, he will protect them to see them to fruition. Would you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 21, and we're going to hear the word of the Lord. And then I'd like you to keep your Bibles open because we're going to look at Genesis 12, Genesis 20, 20 and 26 today as we see an example of how God protected his promises to Abraham and Sarah so that a son of the promise could emerge from their union who would bless the world. And that son of the promise is a pre-type of Jesus who would be the ultimate Son of promise. Let's hear the word of the Lord, Romans 4, 13 through 21. It was not through the law that Abraham and his off, uh, it was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that we would be, uh, can I start again? <clears throat> I'm trying, it's my second round. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Verse 16. Therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. Not only those who are of the law, Jews, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, Gentiles. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, And since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, 
but strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. I was on a flight from Newark, New Jersey about a year and a half ago to Israel, and I was sitting on the window seat. My wife was in the middle, and there was a gentleman, a Jewish scholar, who was sitting in the aisle seat. And Chris took a lav break, and I turned over to this guy and said, what do you do? Because he had the curls, and he had a particular hat on, so I knew he was of a, a specific Jewish sect, and I wasn't sure what. And it turns out he was a scholar. And I asked him, what do you study? He said, I study 17th century Judaism. I said, really? I said, what's the focus of your study? He says, Abraham. Abraham was brilliant. Abraham thought great thoughts, and that's what connected him to God. Now, fortunately, my wife came back from the lab, and she sat down, so I did not have to continue that conversation. (laughs) Because our scriptures, the Holy Scriptures, say actually the opposite thing. Abraham was a Chaldean. He was a Babylonian. And God came to him, and God called him, and God gave him promises. In Genesis 12, God promised him a land and posterity. In Genesis 15, he specifically says to he and Sarah, you're going to have a son, even though Sarah's womb is barren. In Genesis 17, God gives him the sign of circumcision, which will confirm the promises that God will carry out on Abraham's behalf. Psalm 138.2 says God's word and his name are one and the same thing. Numbers 23 says that God is not a man and he cannot lie. So when God issues promises to us, they will happen. All the heroes of faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews received promises from God. Now note this. And when God gave them a promise, it moved them in their faith to carry out the deeds that God wanted them to do to extend his kingdom. We need to hear the voice of God. And when we hear the voice of God, then we receive promises and confirmation of our our faith regarding who we are in Christ's identity and then what he wants us to do with our lives. I want you to know the first time I started hearing God's voice, and I want you to know that I am still learning to hear God's voice. I received a promise. In fact, I've received three promises. And so one of the challenges today for you as you hear this little teaching is, what promises have you actually received from the Lord that the Lord has to fulfill? So an interesting one for me occurred back in the 1990s. I was a little pastor of a little church in Des Moines, and four times within an eight-year period, I would hear this voice that would call me early in the morning. It was Sunday mornings at about 5 o'clock. The first time I heard the voice, it was my father's voice, Harold Corver. The second through the fourth time I heard this voice, it was a tenor voice, and I did not recognize the voice. And I was, I was actually kind of ashamed that I didn't know who was talking to me. And years later, I heard a teaching. I was on the road, and I heard a teaching on the radio, and this preacher was talking about the paraclete. John chapter 14, John chapter 16, the Holy Spirit is going to be sent by the Father through the Son to us, and he's going to walk alongside us. And I went, oh my word, this is what was going on there. When you have a friend who walks alongside you, do they talk in a deep voice and say, hey? No, they talk in a tenor voice, and they commune with you, and they walk with you. And I was getting some initiation there that God is tender. He's kind. He wants to be intimate with me. He's he's friendly to me. That was new for me. 
It was changing my view of God. Now, I always knew God was kind, but I didn't always know God was kind. This was one of these moments when I would hear his voice where I would, I would know that he's kind. And in John 10, Jesus says this. He says, my sheep know my voice. So I received a promise from God right there. I'm learning to hear God's voice. I'm going to know how to hear God's voice. We'll talk more about that later. A little later, I had another story. In 2008, I was here at Third Church working here. I had a dry season. Any of you ever been in really dry seasons? Raise your hand where you've not heard the word of the Lord and you're about ready to croak. Well, that's where I was. I went to bed one night and I said, Lord, I got to hear something. I am like dying on the vine. I said, I don't care what you want to tell me. Give me something. And that next morning I woke up and here's what I heard. Keith, I am your friend. John 15, 15. It was amazing. It was deeper confirmation in me that God was for me. He wasn't against me. Did you know that you're God's friend too? It says it in scripture. You know it here, but do you know it here? Mike talked about how we're going to rework the 11 a.m. time frame here in the auditorium. And what's got to happen is this, and I'm going to be a little more explicit than Mike was. We have a mandate as a staff to train as many people as possible to be able to hear God's voice. Because if you can hear God's voice, then you are becoming prophetic and you can move God's word into certain situations. We want to teach you about the Father's heart. Can we move and lean into the love of God the Father more as we hear his voice, as we become prophetic? Can we learn about the will of God in its purest form so that when we're walking with others, we can know ultimately that God is good no matter what stuff hits the fan, we're going to trust him because we trust in his promises. These are the things that we want to do in the auditorium. Now today what I want to do very briefly is I want to focus on just one thought. Would you put that up for me on the screen? Here's our one thought for the day. And the computer's slow. It says celebrate that God protects all of his promises to us. Now, what I've been doing is, is I knew I was going to teach today, and I thought I was teaching next week, so I was going to put together a two-week series on the life of Abraham and Sarah. But next week, Jason Nelson's coming back here, and we're going to ordain him at this service. So now I only have to, get, I only have to, I only get to preach one sermon on Abraham and Sarah. And uh, so I'm, I'm doing some kind of a synthesis. I said, Lord, I've been reading Genesis 12 through 26. What in the world do you want me to share today for the people of God? And here's what I heard from the Lord. I heard from the Lord, whatever you share, and I'll show you the text, I want you to teach with a New Testament mindset, an Old Testament story, so that people can see behind the narrative and the event to see with New Testament eyes what's going on in an Old Testament story. So what's interesting is the thought that came to me as the Lord was speaking to me was uh, Ephesians 6.12. Ephesians 6.12 says this, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, right? We're not contending with flesh and blood. But we're contending against principalities and powers and evil authorities in the heavenly realms. And so what the Lord has signaled me to do today is I want to take you into the life of Abraham and Sarah in three episodes where we're going to see that God protected them as they were sojourning with him so that he could fulfill his promises to them. 
Now, one of the stories I'm going to tell you, share with you, is going to raise some eyebrows. And so you do me a favor. Do your own research after church and come to your own opinion and don't have roast preacher at noon. Okay? Because I'm going to share something that actually is pretty interesting. And in the first service of old believers who've been reading the Bible forever, I said, anybody, who in this group have heard this story before? Three people out of about 250 people recognized this story for what it was. So I'm going to take you there. So... I'm going to teach this with New Testament lenses, Ephesians 6.12. We're going to get behind the narrative and we're going to find the demonic in the narrative versus just the story that we hear. Okay, so turn to Genesis 12 and we're going to read the story of Abraham and Sarah as they are sojourning to Egypt. Now what's interesting about this story, we're getting behind the scene into the unseen realm. There's a great author out there called Michael Heiser. He's written a book called The Unseen Realm. If you want your Christian faith on supercharger or turbocharger, read his book, Unseen Realm. He's going to help you understand from Scripture the big picture of what's happening in the spirit realm with warfare between the Lord and his angels and Satan and his minions of who the top level are known as watchers. These are, people who, these are angels who fell with Satan and now they inhabit the earth and they're behind governments, principalities, and powers, and people, and industries. And so the Lord's wanting us to be in tune with the dynamics that are happening in Abraham and Sarah's life so that we can see in the unseen realm what is going on on a deeper level. And we'll see God being faithful, protecting his promises, bringing them to fruition through Abraham and Sarah. So Genesis 12, here we have verse 10 through 20. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Now, quick commentary. People are dying. Animals are dying. We gloss over so much stuff in Scripture that we can't catch the ethos of the moment of what's happening. Dire, dire, dire situation. People are desperate. Desperate times call for what? Desperate measures. And Abraham and Sarah are on their way, and they are desperate. Now notice, in the pericope, the passage just before this one, God has just covenanted with Abraham. I'm going to give you land and posterity. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. Whoever curses you, I will curse. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Who else was listening in on that? Demons. The fallen watchers, the demons, have all heard this. Now, Abraham and Sarah are leaving Canaan, the land God promised them, and they're heading to Egypt. They're heading to foreign territory in the unseen realm. And the bottom line here is they want to kill Abraham, and they want to taint Sarah's womb to destroy the promise that's about to come. Verse 11, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants, and camels. Stop the tape. You get into the Hebrew, and Pharaoh brought her into his harem. Full 
marital conjugal rights. How many of you knew that? Raise your hand if you knew that. About three people. Isn't that interesting? Can you imagine the conversations that Abraham and Sarah had about that? Let's keep going with the text. Here's what happens when you mess with the Lord's people when he's got a promise that he wants fulfilled. He's going to inflict damage in the spirit realm and in the terrestrial realm. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and on his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Get out of here. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife, with everything that he had. Now watch what happened in this episode behind the scenes. The fallen watchers, the demonic, want to absolutely kill Abraham. So Abram and Ham and Sarah concoct this plan. Sarah decides to take one for the team because she doesn't know what else to do and she loves Abraham dearly. As I was reflecting and sitting in this passage, I was really amazed. And the Lord said, you know who Sarah is like, Keith? She's like Esther. Esther kind of did the same thing with the Persians. So Sarah is really the heroine in this whole thing. But notice what the demonic was trying to do. The demonic was trying to kill Abraham. We're going to saw a log down in God's road of economy, of salvation history. Kill him. Nullify the promise. And we're going to taint Sarah's womb. We're going to see if she can be impregnated with another man. Because maybe Abraham was the issue. That's what's going on in the unseen realm with the watchers. And God says, you mess with my girl. And you mess with my boy. And you're going to be in big big trouble. I want to move on now to another text. Go to 15, chapter 15, verse 4. Now, as we're moving in life, as God is speaking to us and he's giving us promises, he gives us progressive revelation. So in Genesis 12, Abraham and Sarah did not know the specific routing of God's promise. But in Genesis 15, 4, we find out that God comes and the word of the Lord came to him and says that Sarah specifically will have a son. Now move on to chapter 20, if you would. God is protecting his promises here. This is a most astounding passage, actually. Abraham and Sarah are going to move to the Philistine area of Gerar, or Gerar, however it's, it's titled. And there's going to then be another challenge to Sarah and to Abraham regarding killing Abraham and regarding tainting Sarah's womb. Now notice this, when God is moving us in our most holy faith, when he's issued promises to us, he knows that we're going to occasionally fail. When you read Romans 4 that we just did, it makes it sound like Abraham was stellar, he had no doubts in his life, and it was just a straight line hint for him believing the promises of God. But you actually get into the 16 episodes that are in Genesis 12 through Genesis 26, and you see Abraham doing this, and Sarah, three steps forward, two steps back, and you see this topsy-turvy reality of life, and God doesn't ever give up. Because he has issued the promise, his prophetic people hear, and they live into it in a herky-jerky way until over time we marinate, we, we understand from here to here that God's promises are true for me. They're true for me. 
I remember when I was getting my private pilot's license, I, I got trained in little tiny Piper Tomahawk. I'd flown many times commercially, many times with friends who had airplane licenses. But I remember when I finally soloed, Mel gets out of the airplane. He says, you're ready. It was at about 12 hours of flight time. He says, take the airplane around the pattern three times and then come back and report to me. So I'm getting the airplane prepped. I do the pre-flight checklist. I hop in the thing, do the mag check. And I'm at the threshold getting ready to take off. And as I get ready to take off, I had this thought in my mind. I know the principle of lift works for airline pilots, and I know that it works for Mel when he flies with me in the airplane, but I wonder if the principle of lift is going to work for me. Right? And that's what we're talking about with the promises of God. I know God's promises are going to work for you, but I'm not so sure about me. And God says, good. We're going to go through remedial loops, Keith. Shannon, whoever, we're going to go through remedial loops until you marinate and you saturate in my word, in my goodness, and my purposes for you until you're convinced they're going to happen, even though you don't know how. Even though you don't know how. Because God has issued the promise. Okay, let's look at Genesis 20. So we have Abraham and Sarah who are moving into a remedial loop of faith regarding God's promises. So, Verse 1, Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, she's my sister. Hmm, same story all over again. Abraham's white lying. Do we have any white liars in here besides me and Abraham? Any of the white liars in here? Raise your hand if you're a white liar. Good. God loves us, and we are his friend. Abraham was a friend of God, and he was a white liar. And he's in round two here, learning how to tell the truth. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She's a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her. Abimelech had not laid with her. Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did Abraham not say to me, she is my sister, and didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and with clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. This is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all of his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you might have brought such great guilt upon me in my kingdom? You've done things to me that should not be done. And Abimelech asked Abram, What was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, There is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Abraham is prophetic, Abraham is prophetic, and Abraham is sensing. I'm a dead man if I'm not careful here. So in his flesh, he's maneuvering, and he's growing deeper in the promises of God, and he's in remedial loop number two, verse 12. Besides, he says, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, 
My land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah, he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abram prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his slave girls so they could have children. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Now watch what's happening in the unseen realm. The fallen watchers and the demons are trying to mess with Sarah's womb. And God says, fine, I got your wombs. Close them. There is spiritual warfare happening here, and even the pagans could see what was going on. Something is happening here, and Abraham prophetically comes in and prophesies and prays and heals the household. Now I've got a question for you. Why did God give Abimelech a quick dream versus Pharaoh, who totally infracted? I asked the Holy Spirit, and he said, Keith, really simple. Turn back two chapters in Genesis, and I will show you. Please go to Genesis 18. In Genesis 18, God comes in the form of an angel of the Lord with two other angels, and they're on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And the angels show up, and Abraham feeds them, and then God promises Abraham and Sarah that they are going to have a son, and they both laugh at God. And God smiles and he says, about this time next year when life is due, I will return and Sarah will have a son. If you look at chapter 19, Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed. In chapter 20, very shortly after that incident at Mamre, Sarah is impregnated. So Sarah is being looked at by King Abimelech of Gerar. And he's thinking about putting the moves on her. And God says, you touch her and you are a dead man. Why do you think? Think about the angelic realm. What they want to do is they want to have a case of confused paternity. If we can get Abimelech to sleep with Sarah, who is the real daddy, Abraham or Abimelech? And it'll be the same problem that we have nowadays with Islam and with Judaism. Abraham is both religion's father, but Ishmael comes into Mohammedism, and Isaac moves into Judaism. The demonic wanted to confuse God's plan of salvation for the son of the promise. Isn't this amazing stuff that we're seeing in the unseen realm? Let's move ahead to one more text. Let's go to Genesis 26. Here we see now that the sins of the father pass to the sins of the son. And it is almost comical, but it's true. The sins of the parents go to the children of the third and fourth generation, but God shows love to a thousand generations of those who love me. So now we have Isaac, who is a son of his father, and it turns out that he's a white liar too. In this story, he goes back to Gerar, and he meets with Abimelech, the same guy Abraham dealt with. Here we go. Isaac and Abimelech. Now there was a famine in the land besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Now the Lord had appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt to live. Why? Isaac would have been murdered and Rebekah would have been taken into the harem of the then Pharaoh in Egypt. And so God is saying we aren't doing that again. So stay here in Philistia where I ask you to stay. Verse 2. 
the Lord appeared to Isaac and said to him, don't go down to Egypt, live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. So God's keeping his promises now to Isaac that he gave to Abraham. I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and he kept my requirements, my commands and my decrees and my laws. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister because he was afraid to say, he is my wife. Can you say Groundhog Day? My favorite National Lampoon movie is Groundhog Day. My wife can't stand it. I like Bill Murray. So the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she's beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and he saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebecca. Stop the tape. In the original Hebrew, God caused Abimelech to look out the window and he saw Isaac and Rebekah intimately entwined in a field. But we soften it in our text. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She really is your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? And Isaac answered him, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of my men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Abimelech is remembering the dream when God came to him regarding Sarah, when God said, you touch her, you touch the offspring, you're a dead man. Whew. Isaac planted crops in the land that same year, and he reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants, the Philistines envied him. Isn't this interesting? In all three episodes that we have here now with Abraham and Sarah in 12 and 26, and now Isaac in 12 and 20, and now Isaac in verse 26, the men come away from the episodes filthy rich at their wives' expense. Isn't this wild? God will protect his promises that he has for you until they come to fruition because God cannot lie. My wife Chris is sitting here, and we've been married for 35 years this summer in July, and we were married in 1984. In 1984, we had our first chance to go to uh, John Wimber's Vineyard Church. It was a real charismatic church. We got to see prophetic in work, signs and wonders, lots of healings and all that good stuff. It was kind of creepy, scary at first, and then we started getting into it. We had a small group, and at one of our small groups that we met at, one of the young men had a prophetic word for Chris and I, and it really landed. We were new at this, but it landed in our spirits, and we said, yes, we, we believe this is going to be true. Now, we hadn't heard anything for 16 years until 2000 when my, when my wife was at the parsonage in Des Moines, and the Lord met her on a Monday morning when she was cleaning the bathrooms, and he shared five things with her, and four of them have happened. But what has not happened was the fifth thing, which was the thing that we received in 1984. Do you know that we've been waiting for 35 years, and Abraham and Sarah only had to wait 25? I hope it's not a baby. 
because it will truly be an immaculate conception. <laughs> but what about you? What promises has God given to you? If you're not sure, read Scripture and see what lifts. The Word of God is living and active. He'll say, that's for you. Ask the Lord to come to you, to give you revelation, to reveal to you what your promises are in him. And he will deliver because you too are a friend of God and you too are learning how to hear his voice. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that you protect the promises that you give us. We thank you that you cannot lie. We thank you, Lord God, that you are teaching us through, through remedial loops like Abraham and Sarah did, that we can truly trust your word and your promises to us because you are good and you are holy and you want to bless us and you want us to be a blessing to people around us. So, Lord God, we thank you for the lesson today of putting on Ephesians 6, 12 lenses that we could look into the spiritual realm of an Old Testament story. And see, in fact, behind the players, Pharaoh and Abimelech, and then Isaac and Rebekah and Abimelech again, that in fact, there are these fallen entities called principalities and powers and demons that want to saw logs down into the road of the promises and the plans you have for your people. But you will never be thwarted. In fact, you're so creative, God, you find ways over, under, and around all the logs that get sawn down into our pathways of faith. So we thank you, we bless you, and we honor you that you are a God who keeps his promises and you protect the promises that you give to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.